Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today's episode of the Indo Daily comes to you from our sister podcast, The Bell Tell. Enjoy. In today's episode of The Bell Tale, the unsolved murder of Lisa Dorian. The 25-year-old shop assistant had been at a party in a village caravan park. The Dorian family believe they must continue to have hope, but they say that Lisa is not the type of person to remain out of contact for this long. Lisa went missing on the 20th of February, 2005. Her body is yet to be found. Today, the PSNI has commenced a number of searches in the Ballyhalbert area. Um, over the next number of weeks, dive teams from the PSNI um, will search areas of the clay pits in Ballyhalbert, um, looking for any evidence uh, related to Lisa's disappearance. With over 400 searches over almost two decades, how close are authorities to finding Lisa's body? For us in the PSNI and for Lisa's family, the story about Lisa is very much still untold. The investigation remains in a very active phase and will continue to do so. Who killed her? Where did they bury her? Uh, in terms of the killer, they have only one person in mind. The family of Lisa Dorian know who murdered Lisa and the police know who murdered Lisa. Police have one suspect in mind as to who killed Lisa, an individual that her sister Joanne has spoken to herself. Have you ever talked to the person you think it is? I've spoken to him, yes. Joining me to discuss Lisa Dorian's case is Kieran Barnes, chief reporter with The Sunday Life, and Lisa's sister Joanne, who has never given up her fight for justice. Kieran, what actually happened to Lisa Dorian? Uh, well, she was last seen in a caravan in Ballyhalbert in February 2005. Um, she was never seen again. She was initially listed as a missing person, but uh, within a few days, it, and, and no sighting of her and no activity of her in terms of phones or, or bank accounts or contacting anyone. The police quickly um, launched a murder inquiry, and that murder inquiry sadly still ongoing uh, 17 years later. Are police any closer to finding her body or her killer now? Um, I, I, 
they've got a they've got an idea of where she's buried because um, you have to remember the, the circumstances of, of Lisa's going missing. She was last seen in a caravan site in Ballyhalbert in at the end of February 2005. The caravan site wasn't open. There was a frost that night. It was cold. So um, it would have been difficult to transport her body in a car because there wasn't that many people around. It would have been difficult to dig a hole in the ground. So the feeling is that her killer or killers um, moved the body nearby to, a, to maybe water, to maybe um, a, a ditch somewhere or an underground tunnel. Now, the Ballyhalbert caravan where, where she was last seen, it's surrounded by, by waterways and there's an old airfield down there which has tunnels underneath it. So there was a couple of searches of those waterways and the, and the airfield and within the past couple of years and sadly they've, they've been, unable, been unable to, to recover Lisa's body. But so police have an idea, for, you know, a fairly sure idea that she's somewhere nearby the caravan. This is the type of area that I think Lisa's body may have been deposited in. And I'm asking the public to recollect where they were when Lisa disappeared in February 2005. Uh, in terms of the killer, they have only one person in mind. The family of Lisa Dorian know who murdered Lisa and the police know who murdered Lisa. And there's a sizable section of the community where this person is from who know that they were involved in the murder of Lisa. Um, so the I don't want to say the dogs on the street, no, but you know it's 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 fair it's fairly common knowledge within within police and criminal circles who who was responsible for killing Lisa. What were the events of that night? What did the police know? Okay, well, Lisa had been partying over that weekend with with various friends, and um, there was a party in the in the caravan. I remember again, this is off season. There's no one else at the caravan park. Um, so th- there's this one caravan, and there's uh, certain there's different people at the party. Now the last person to see Lisa alive was a guy called Mark Lovett. Mark was uh, he worked as a groomsman at the, the caravan site. And he was quite young, so he was at the party. There was other people at the party, and everyone's been taking drugs. Everyone's been been drinking, bar one person. Now um, this person, who the only sober person who since made witness statements. To police, he talked about how he left the um, left the caravan at around um, ten o'clock, ten thirty, and um, he's the only one there sober. So he's quite worried about who's left at the at the party because there were some of them were hallucinating and stuff like that. Some of them, and they were off their faces. So he rings Mark Lovett at a quarter past one and, and asks them how they are. He says they're fine, and then at about four forty-five, five a.m., um, Mark Lovett says he hears noises outside the caravan. He sees flashing lights. Him and Lisa run from the caravan into the night and she's not seen again. Mark then goes to the uh, the caretaker's hut on the caravan site and he rings Lisa's former boyfriend, Stephen Thompson. Hey, I want to make clear, you know, he's not suspected of involvement in, in Lisa's death at all. So he rings Stephen Thompson and he rings a phone actually that Lisa had. So he's thinking he's, he's, he's ringing Lisa initially, but Lisa had returned the phone to Stephen Thompson that weekend after it split up. So he, he answers the phone and he says, look, I haven't seen Lisa. You know, she'd returned the phone to me a, a few days before. And, you know, and then the police are called and the police arrive in the scene. And that's when they search. That's when they start the missing person search, which goes on for a few days. And then after a while, they, they realise that, you know, Lisa's not coming back and she's been murdered. What evidence are the police going off now? Well, because they haven't retrieved the body, they don't have... 
it's hard for them to mount a prosecution uh, from talking to various police sources who were involved in the in the investigation there was no forensic evidence whatsoever with, of use within the caravan there was no blood there was no signs of there's no sign that she'd been that there'd been a, a really violent physical struggle uh, in the caravan so the caravan was pretty clean in terms of forensic evidence there's not a huge amount of, of evidence here at the moment for the police to go on but they have a fair they, you know they, they are absolutely convinced about the events that took place that night which led to Lisa's death and her subsequent burial it's the problem they have now is producing the evidence to mount what could be a circumstantial case against individuals but that's that's something that the police are working on there were reports for years that there were paramilitary links directly to Lisa's murder were are the police with that now? Well, the police came out last year and said that there was no paramilitary involvement, and that's always been the position. And actually, the LVF were wrongly blamed as being involved. The LVF were a drugs gang who were operating in North Down at the time. They were involved in conflict with the UVF. The summer after Lisa was murdered, there was a feud between the UVF and the LVF, and it was convenient for the UVF to allow the public to think that the LVF had somehow murdered Lisa because when the UVF was shooting people with associations with the LVF that summer, they were going, we're wiping out a drugs gang. We're um, taking on the people who murdered that poor wee girl and secretly buried. And that was a lot of crap. It was a lot of rubbish. you know. But it suited the UVF's agenda at the time for people to think that the LVF were involved. Now, although there was no paramilitary involvement directly in Lisa's murder, there was paramilitaries who conspired afterwards to cover up the role of the killer. The killer is has close links to an individual who's a veteran Red Hand Commando member and also a, a guy who, until just a few years ago, was a UVF leader in Northern Ireland. He was a brigade commander. And those two know of his involvement and they both work together to move the focus away from him and to allow a public misconception and a police misconception that others were involved. Afterwards, they provided him with jobs. They looked after him. They coached him on on what would what to say should he ever be arrested by the police. And that's widely known. That's widely known within the Loyalist paramilitary circles. Um, it's become increasingly more known over the past few years. And this guy's now, the killer's now kind of out on, on his own because the person he was close to, who is close to, who was a former UVF leader, He's no longer a UVF leader. You know, he was demoted a few a few years back for um, stealing cash from the organisation, so he doesn't have that level of protection anymore. And that's good for the police, and that's good for the family as well, because, you know, that's been stripped away. And with that stripped away, it leaves them more exposed, and it, it leaves them more, more open. And hopefully, hopefully, now that he doesn't have that protection, um, it may lead to it may lead to him being charged with, with Lisa's killing. Because the Dorian family have kept this in the public eye for so long... Do you think there is hope of them getting justice and finding Lisa's, Lisa's body and getting a conviction? There's always hope. And the Dorians have been fantastic. You know, I have nothing but admiration for their tenacity. They've been at this 17 years and despite knockback after knockback after knockback, they've kept going. And sometimes, you, you know, if they admire their inner strength, it's, it's, you know, it's stratospheric. It really is. Um, I can tell you this. See, as long as there's a Dorian alive in Northern Ireland, this will not be forgotten about. They will push this and they will push this and they will push this and see the person responsible for murdering Lisa. They have to understand that too. They will never sleep easy. They will never rest until this is until this is solved. And the best thing for them to do, to get this off their conscience and to put an end to the hurt that this is causing 
the Dorian family, but also their own family. They need to come forward and they need to put their hand up and say, yep, I killed Lisa Dorian and here's where her body is. At the very least, the very least, they could reveal the location of the body without doing that. There's channels there where they could do it anonymously, they could do it in secret, but they need to do um, they need to do one they, at the very least they need to give give the location of that body up but secondly if they really want to uh, live a peaceful life for the rest of their lives and not be bothered by their conscience they need to they need to put their hands up and say yeah I killed Lisa Kim Barnes thanks very much Joanne first off I want to ask you you know what was Lisa like Lisa was um, a very loving person she was a very funny person she was 25, you know, when she went missing, but we had so many beautiful memories um, growing up together. There were three sisters um, until Kira came along a, a lot later, but the three of us growing up together were just so, so close. Um, Lisa was a fabulous dancer. She was a fabulous hairdresser. She had won awards, um, you know, as she went through her, her training for that. She was... A person that once you met her, you you never forgot her because she really had a presence about her. You know, she she was just warm and loving, and had a laugh that is even to this day still very fresh in in my memory because she had a really distinct hearty laugh. And um, when I think about that, that it kind of chokes me up because it was just such a big part of her. She was fun. She was funny, and she was loving. And what was the moment like, not only when you realised that she was missing for sleep, but when you realised that she had been murdered? Well, we had nine days where we thought Lisa was just missing, but was going to come home. And um, those days felt very long. They felt very lonely, because even though we were doing this together as a family and going through this, we all had our own opinions, we all had our own thoughts on what should be done, and... Um, so it was it was a very, very tense nine days. Um, when we got to that day nine, that's when the, the PSNI came out and told us that they were changing the status of the inquiry to a murder inquiry and they were going out to arrest two people the next morning. And that was when our, our lives changed forever. I literally remember being on my knees in our family home because I couldn't, my head had never gone to murder. I had never thought that something, any harm had come to her at the hands of someone else. I had, we had all considered that she had fallen. We had considered that she had, um, you know, got into difficulty. Uh, it was freezing cold night that she went missing. And we had thought about all those things, but not one of us had ever considered murder. And when the police came out, I can tell you that our family changed forever. And in your opinion... Do you know who the killer is? Yes, we we are confident um, that we know exactly who killed Lisa, um, and and that is a person that that lives in Northern Ireland, and that is a person who I hope follows everything that we do very closely, and who hears us talk about Lisa. Um, that is, is something that I I really strive for is that he continues to see Lisa's face, he continues to hear her name. And even though we haven't had justice so far, um, I hope that I hope that I've made life difficult for him. Have you ever talked to the person you think it is? Have they cooperated with you in the police? I've spoken to him. Yes. Did you know then in your heart? No. 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 
When I spoke to him, I didn't know that he had killed Lisa. And has he cooperated since? Uh, There's been no opportunity for him to speak to the police since. What did he say when you did speak to him? When I spoke to uh, that person, they uh, gave me a version of events, of of what they believed had happened, um, what they wanted me to believe. And I suppose primarily because I wasn't thinking of of murder, um, I... You know, I lapped that up. I, I took everything at face value. I'd never dealt with people that were criminals before. We didn't mix in those circles. And, you know, it was... Um, I took everything, as I say, at face value. But it was whenever things started not adding up and, and parts of the story didn't ring true with other things that we were hearing, then that we started to look at him more closely, and uh, as did the police. And um, I can't really say any any more than that, just because of the you know the ongoing investigation. But um, certainly, they've been able to disprove a, a lot of his story. Have you ever even seen that person out and about, or has anyone ever contacted you about that person or about any other sort of leads? I've never seen that person since. Um, I've had lots of information about him sent through confidentially on Lisa's website. Um, which I, I pass on to the police. Um, I've had lots of people's thoughts around that person. Um, and whilst it's not evidential, you know, it's all kind of picture building for us. And um, he, he certainly hasn't lived under the radar as much as he thinks he has. Um, why do you think she was killed? We don't know. We don't know. Um, the police certainly have narrowed down their theories. Um, but for us as a family... Um, we can't understand why anybody would ever feel they had to kill Lisa or feel um, that they had to disappear her for 17 years. So we don't know why somebody killed her. The issue is that there's only a very small number who know. So um, it's it's not a case of this massive cover-up or you know this massive wall of silence. We are looking at a very, very, very small number of people who know what happened to Lisa and where her body is now 17 years later. And this small number of people do you believe do know where Lisa is are you hoping that even if the killer doesn't come forward that you know another person that might know where she is do you hope that he she or they will come forward and help you with this case yeah of course I, I've always thought to myself that the person who killed Lisa has not either solely done this alone or has not solely kept this to themselves I do think that um, human nature is that you need support, you need help. This can't be an easy thing to live with, you know, no matter who you are. So I do think that they've probably leaned on somebody close to them. Um, So I I always live in hope that that person will have a change of heart or realise that actually it's just gone on too long now. They they see us in the media, they see us online, uh, you know, asking constantly for, for help and for uh, information, and I do hope that that day will come that where somebody close to them will find the strength because that person would be a hero to us, and and that might sound strange, but um, I certainly would have no anger for them keeping it to themselves for this long. I just want them to come forward now. And because it has been nearly two decades, did you ever think that it was going to take this long or possibly continue to go on this long? No. When we, I remember sitting on my mum's sofa when they came out to tell us it was a murder inquiry and um, a couple of days later we were sitting with our liaison officer at the time and I said to him do you think this will be over by Christmas 
I mean, we had never gone through a court case, never gone through a police investigation for anything. So when he sort of scoffed at that and said, Joanne, even if we arrest and charge someone tomorrow, this won't be over by Christmas. And I thought, good God, we are in this for the long haul, having no idea that we were actually going to be doing this for at least 17 years. And what have those 17 years been like for you personally, Joanne? Um, 17 years. I find it hard to believe it's 17 years, you know, but it's still so relevant. It's still so fresh. Everybody still talks about her, you know, and we, we've made sure as a family that that's what we have done. We can't allow Lisa to become a cold case. We can't allow her to become, um, you know, a dusty file on a shelf because she means so much to us that while she hasn't been found and there has been no conviction, then there's work to be done. You know, and that's that's the way I view it. But it has been a long... I was 21 when Lisa went missing. So my whole adult life has been dedicated to finding Lisa. You know, and, and I have carried on living throughout all of that. It certainly hasn't consumed me. And, and I hope people will think that I've, um, you know, done lots of things that have, have helped other people throughout that journey. But yeah, it has shaped my life and I have dedicated my life to... Um, missing people. And your mum passed away in 2015, obviously never knowing what, what happened to Lisa or yeah. never finding her body, you know. How was your mum throughout that entire time? My mum just gave up wanting to live after Lisa went missing. And I mean that. She just said that she wanted to be with Lisa. She um, tried really hard to live, but she couldn't because her firstborn daughter had been murdered and disappeared. You know, and, and I have two children now myself and and I think to myself, I used to get angry. I used to get angry at my mum and think, we're all here. Yeah. You know, we're all here. Why are we not enough? But it wasn't a case of that. It was a case of her first daughter had been murdered and disappeared and it did consume her. You know, and we just tried our best to motivate mum. We tried our best to have a life but she just, she just didn't want to be here anymore. In those 17 years as well, you know, how do you stay motivated? Because you're very inspirational and you have helped other families who are going through similar situations even now. Is it difficult to keep your spirits up or how do you do it? I don't find it difficult. I don't find it difficult because I don't harbour any, you know, deep hatred around what happened I am you know I just think that while Lisa hasn't been found and there hasn't been justice then there is hope and that is what my hope is every day you know that it could be today today we could get a call that that leads us to where she is and, and we can finally lay her to rest and and that's what this is about you know we know she's not coming back alive and I used to have to remind myself of that at the very beginning because you would talk about bringing her home, but you're not bringing her home alive. You know, you're bringing her home so you can give her a, a grave, a proper dignified grave. And that's not too much to ask. Do you think that day is getting closer? Do you think that justice will be found and her body will be found and her killer will be brought to justice if and when her body is found? Yes, I do. A hundred percent believe that that will happen. And, you know, we, we work really closely with the police who have been more than dedicated to Lisa's case. I know there have been opportunities where they could have said, we've done all we can for now. But, you know, they've gone above and beyond in, in what they've done looking for Lisa. 
over 400 searches. You know, I've never heard of that before. We we have pushed a lot, but they have also given us a lot. And I think it will be their dedication to this case that brings someone to justice. John, you and your family, you're advocating for legislation called Charlotte's Law. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What is it? Yeah, Charlotte's Law is based on um, the premise that when somebody is convicted of a nobody murder, and we've only ever had that once in Northern Ireland, and that was for the murder of Charlotte Murray. Um, and Mr. Miller was convicted in 2019 for Charlotte's murder, but um, her body has not been found. And the idea behind Charlotte's Law is that once someone is convicted of that, we are going to be able to offer them a bespoke period of time where they can then uh, admit to where the body is and give up the location. And in doing that, then they will have a review of their tariff um, and be able to lower their own sentence, essentially, and help themselves to uh, get out of jail earlier. But in doing that, they're also giving peace to the family because the body will then be returned for a dignified burial. There are lots of other pieces of administrative stuff that Charlotte's Law is going to do, but the main thing is that it will also be taken into consideration at the end of their sentence if they haven't given up the location of the body, that on a statutory fitting it has to be taken into account by the parole board before they are actually considered for release. So we are, um, it's, a, it's a version of Helen's Law in the UK, but we are starting it from the point of arrest in a no-body murder case right up until the point where they're released on licence. And we're just trying to basically incentivise them to tell the family where their loved one's body is. Are there times where you thought you've been close and the evidence just hasn't been there? Um, there hasn't been a time where I've particularly thought, you know, we're, we're going to get justice and we've been let down. We haven't got to that stage yet. There have been a lot of times where we have really thought we're going to find her. I mean, the last searches we did in the clay pits in Ballyhalbert, I'm not going to lie, I was hysterical when I got the phone call to say that it was over because I honestly believed, and I think the senior investigating officer also believed, that we really were going to find her there. You know, it, it fits so many things that they believe about what happened to Lisa um, and and they had every bit of equipment and technology that they needed. If she was there, we would have found her. And that's always been the thing with the police searches, that if she's there, we will find her. You know, they're not scraping on resources. Anything she needs, they're, they're giving it to the search. We just haven't been in the right place yet. Do you believe that she is near the caravan park? Yes, I absolutely do. I absolutely believe she's down there. And, you know, you, you would have to be there and see the place to realise how, how vast it is, you know. And, and when you're up against people who have local knowledge, and that is one of the barriers here, that you're up against people who have local knowledge that I, I'll never be able to find out, you know. And, and we're coming in at it as, as outsiders. Um, there have been appeals for local people to come forward and say, where do you think it could be? Where do you think we should look? Because the police are open to all of that. We just haven't been to the right place yet. If Lisa's body is found, is that the last sort of piece of evidence that the police need? Uh, The police are hopeful to be able to get a conviction even without Lisa's body. Um, And that's what they've been working towards for 17 years. They were obviously successful in Charlotte Murray's case. And, And it was the first time we've ever done it in Northern Ireland. You know, there have been other cases that have been tried and failed. 
um, because of a, a lack of, I suppose, the body there. But um, we are hopeful to be able to do that. I mean, obviously, finding Lisa, it wouldn't hinder anything. It would only help. And it would certainly be the most important part for us. If, if we had to choose, it would be Lisa. But um, I used to think there was a time where, you know, we could look at an amnesty or, you know, just just to get her back but actually as time has gone on I've realised that justice is as important for all of us mm-hmm. um, and that you wouldn't be happy just to get Lisa returned to you And this is obviously a really hard question What do you think Lisa would be like now today? She'd be 42 wouldn't she? Yeah She'd yeah. be proud of you Yeah Well I think my life would be very different if I hadn't lost her You know, I do think that she has shaped my life and shaped me as a person. And I thank her for that, you know, because um, in advocating for um, the missing and I I also advocate for um, victims and survivors of the troubles as a job. And I think that Lisa led me to all of that. Um, I I think that Lisa as a person now would have children. She would definitely have children because she was so maternal. As I said earlier, our sister Kira was born when Lisa was 17. So we were like little mums to Kira, you know, and we all fought over who got to take her out in the pram and, and who got to feed her a bottle. And, you know, she had so many mums in the house because it was just a house full of girls. And I, I think that she would definitely have children. You know, she'd be settled in her career. She would be on holiday as often as she could because that was what she loved to do was to travel. And she always got a beautiful golden tan. And I do think about the things, you know, that she has missed out on because she has missed out on so much. But um, I do I do thank her for the person that I am today. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced and hosted by myself, Neve Campbell, and sound engineered by Graham Davidson. Clips you heard in this episode were from Sky News, BBC, UTV and Channel 4. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in one year of the end of Chacht Erechor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfader Echor, Inuik Kart, Lenov Winter Fame. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Pashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.